Okay, leaders, it's time to get real and get honest. Ever have an interaction not go so well with an individual or the entire team and you got done, you said, why did I do that? And we're going to get into some real things about self-sabotage and other things that could be driving that and what you can really do about it so you can learn how to head off those behaviors before they get out of hand and ruin your leadership. You found the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership because leadership isn't just what you do, it's who you are. So we help to make you a better leader, help keep your sanity, and make your team better so you make more money. So every week we talk about a different topic that helps you do all those things. So hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Tell all your colleagues and friends, and let's get a discussion going on how we can grow together as better leaders. Hey, everybody, welcome to another week here on the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. So great to be with you. Hope your week has been fantastic. And today we're going to get into the things about self-sabotage. And you think about John Gordon's leadership phrase that a leader's currency with people is building trust. And when you self-sabotage, when things don't go right, when you respond in a way that is so far off the norm and people just get confused about who you are and what you really stand for. It's it's just like out of left field. It's a shock. Your your response is just not it's not helpful. It really breaks your trust and gets people wondering what do we do? What do we bring to this person or not? You think about Tim McGraw's song, The Cowboy and Me, the entire song is about really self-sabotage from a mental perspective. Like sometimes he wakes up fighting mad, doesn't even know why. He's just upset. Or if you're more into, I guess it's pop music back in the 90s by a, I guess a one-hit wonder group lit and the song of My Own Worst Enemy. And that song, too, goes on and on and on about stupid stuff. Don't know why he did it. He knows it's ruining things, but yet it still happens. And really kind of the technical term for that is called an amygdala hijack. An amygdala, it's a, it's a weird word, but uh, the amygdala, for, for most of you probably know, but if you don't, it's a little almond-shaped piece of your brain behind the frontal lobe. And what it really controls is the fight versus flight emotion. However, it can control other reactions or emotions and how you deal with things. Or even though this isn't really a technical term, but what I call micro amygdalas, it's not really an official scientific thing, but the amygdala definitely is. And you can see that in really people who are addicted to things have an amygdala issue uh, and it gets really scientific. Now, of course, we're having a discussion based on how you lead your team and interactions. And of course, there could be people who have legitimate neurological issues with their amygdala and they can't control what's going on with them. So I'm not really talking about anything like that or lumping everything together. But what I'm really talking about is recognizing what really sets you off, what really changes you. And again, you know, you think about uh, Forrest Gump's mother's life advice about life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Your leadership style cannot be like a box of chocolates. Your team cannot not know what they're going to get. You have to set that culture table. You have to guard that culture table once it's set and make sure everybody kind of follows what you agreed upon because that's really what's in charge. When you think about a culture, you can you can say it all you want, put it on a poster, put it on all the walls and all of that, but it's the daily behaviors that you allow to continue whether you want them to or not. If that's what's happening, that's the culture. But 
more importantly, this is really about you as a leader and how you respond to things. Typically in the past, we've just called this person a hothead or they just have knee-jerk reactions. Or, you know, a couple decades ago when the authoritarian type leadership was normal, you'd kind of expect a butt chewing over stuff if you screwed up or had a problem you couldn't solve or you brought them problems. But as leadership is changing over time, there are things that we are dealing with as leaders. And this is where we got to get honest with ourselves as leaders, that the fact is we're just dealing with things we never have in the past. We're really getting to know the people on our team, not only what makes them tick, but what they're dealing with in their own lives, because we see that creep in to how they perform and their productivity. And you really can't build a culture only based on work output. You really can't. That's what it used to be. So before, you know, a couple decades back, it was just you didn't bring any personal problems to work. but And then it kind of morphed into, well, I kind of want to know about them just so I know what's bugging you. But nowadays, you know, it almost seems like sometimes we're, we're getting more into the psychology side of things and becoming almost a Dr. Phil at work. Just when you see things, you know, or somebody's behaviors that just aren't who they were. And you got to dig into that and find out what's going on. And sometimes that's an easy thing where you're just kind of snapping somebody out of something. But other times it's where you're really digging in and trying to learn what is going on with this person. So you can get them kind of refocused. So leadership is definitely changing with that. And we are dealing with things more now than ever, even societal things. Something doesn't even necessarily have to happen on your team or in your company, just some traumatic event on the news. And it's something you have to consider, even though honestly, it's extremely rare. It's just so tragic that if you can't help but wonder, well, what if that happened here? And sometimes you get people who just really go there. And you kind of got to reel them back. But if you don't ever notice those kind of things and you don't ever reel that back in, you really can't help them. And, and you kind of start losing them over time. So what you really have to do, you know, is get clarity with those closest to you and really look at what are those cultural boundaries you set and, and really guard those. You become the protector of those as the leader. So in other words, like, have you ever heard the saying, show me three of your friends and I'll show you you? The, the, the closest people you hang out with, you tend to be like and gravitate toward and act like. Well, the same can be said for your mental mindset. Show me or tell me what you're constantly ingesting mentally, and I'll show you your mindset. So you're watching social media constantly, cable news constantly, only one side of views constantly, and it's going to wear you out, especially if you watch cable news 24-7. Because here's the thing about the news, and this is something Ken Blanchard said once, which is just so accurate. It's on the news because it's not normal. If it was normal, nobody would care. You think about the one car accident and very tragic, if somebody was severely injured or even lost their life, that's news because it's rare. You didn't hear about the other 800,000 people in your city that made it home safe and sound. Nobody had a car crash. Nobody bumped into each other. Nobody got hurt. But when you ingest what's bad about society or what's not normal behavior all the time, that's where your mindset goes. I mean, think about people on your team that are completely negative all the time. That's all you think about. And so you can look at that and say, show me what you mentally ingest all the time and I'll show you your mindset. And these are some things that really wear on you. But now we're talking about the amygdala and, and an amygdala hijack, meaning, I mean, you think about serious cases like road rage. Somebody just cut in front of you and they just lose it. They're honking. They don't even know you. They're honking their horn. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're they're brake checking you like they want to have an accident. But also at work, and, and a lot of times when I've dealt either with a, a customer or 
uh, somebody who works for me and they just kind of snap. What I do know is there's more things going on that led up to that. In other words, you don't just have a one-off amygdala hijack for no reason whatsoever. Like everything's awesome and you just lose it. It usually is a, a whole host of things that are occurring over time that's really never dealt with that you just eventually start snapping, start losing it. So think about that. Here's, a, here's an article about seven facts about amygdala hijacks. This is by Jordan Rosenfeld on mentalfloss.com. So first, the amygdala is not really just one structure. There's little pieces of it that are in there in the depths of the um, anterior inferior temporal lobe. And it's a little almond-shaped region and part of the uh, limbic system. And they can actually find this. And, and they, they they can do scans and, and actually watch it light up when you're when you're stressed, when you're when you're about ready to snap. And doctors can actually remove parts of these things. And they've done these studies in monkeys and rabbits and things like that because every pretty much anything with a brain has some sort of amygdala and they can remove it and you can function just fine without one. The problem is you no longer feel fear. So imagine you know, like a rabbit not seeing an alligator, not caring. Like you have no reference to that. So that's one of the things when you think about an amygdala hijack, when you kind of lose your, your, your sense of control, you don't really care what happens. You fly off the handle. So again, like you think the road the road rage incident, an accident could happen. You kind of don't care. You're just so angry. You just do it. Number two, the one thing about the amygdala is it's your fear factory for your brain. So those are the things that when that kind of disappears, you start to lose the sense of that. Your emotions start to change into what's going on. And the amygdala activity may represent the generational, the generation of emotional experience itself. Or it may reflect, you know, sundry aspects of emotional information processing correlated with emotional experience. Because really, it starts with the fight or flight, but it also controls other emotions beyond fear that you just almost don't care what consequences come along. So, so number three, the amygdala also has a true mind-body connection. Its ability to interpret sensory stimuli in the world, because you think about, you know, your fear, you might not notice something. It's, I mean, that could be something, I know it's kind of funny, but you ever walk in a dark room and you, your face hits a spider web and all of a sudden you're a ninja expert and you're just like flailing about because of that. That's that physical connection to your mental response. Um, number four is interesting. The damage to an amygdala can leave you hungry. It's a strange phenomenon, but an injured amygdala can leave a person super hungry and fixated with putting things in their mouth. I don't know why that is, but it, you know, it, it continues to have a reduced fear of risks. So you want to do risky behaviors. You want to do things. Again, you're not looking at consequences. Number five, it also plays a role in pain. When you think about the, the neurons firing and your, your gut reaction to that pain, you think similarly, like I said, you walk through the spider web in the dark and all of a sudden you turn it into a ninja, you're, you're responding immediately physically. It's the same thing with pain that when your amygdala is damaged, a lot of times the, the, the pain reaction subsides. And number six, the amygdala is key to understanding addiction. So when your amygdala is damaged, again, like I said before, you know, you have this fixation of doing things, putting things in your mouth that don't belong there or not caring or, or just, you know, going through risky behavior that even though you know it, you just don't care anymore. It really lowers your, your response to, to not worrying about what's going to happen to you. And on a micro level, you think about that at work when you're treating people a certain way, uh, 
and you know, you get to a point when you have addiction that you can't control it. But at work, you think about how you, you know, just treat people, even if you treat them horribly or you talk down to them all the time. That's something you should be able to control. And number seven, just <laughs> the problem with all of this is despite advances you know, in brain imagery and technology and things like that, there's still, it's still difficult to study. In other words, we can't just go in there. We certainly can't go in there and replace an amygdala or what kind of surgery we can have to change it. There's certain things that can be done and certainly it can be removed. Uh, but again, I don't know who wants that when you think about the fact that it also removes your fear of things or your fear of consequences. But it's just an interesting thing. And I wanted to share those seven facts with you that of what it controls. And, and even with all of what we know, it's still still something that's very much in the study phase of things. So when you think about, okay, on a lower level, meaning your amygdala is not damaged, you don't have a neurological issue, or you haven't gone so far down the road of an addiction issue that you can't change it without a massive amount of, of therapy and counseling and things like that. But as a leader, when you think about how you respond to things or how you are, are protecting your culture or what you're trying to get out of your team, there are many things you can do to, to really help kind of control that. But back in podcast 21 called Which Q Are You? And we talked about IQ and EQ and GQ and how you show up, meaning obviously you know what IQ and EQ are, but GQ, yes, is a reference to GQ magazine and just how you look. And IQ certainly gets you in the room and EQ is what keeps you around, how people want to deal with you. And too much GQ is just all about image. And that can control, you know, you could have a really negative image, an authoritarian image, a late on the law image, a no BS image, all that kind of stuff that's really sabotaging who you're trying to be, even in a particular moment where you fly off the handle because you're just so tough or you're just so straightforward or whatever that is. And you're really shooting yourself in the foot and not helping your team. You can go back and check out about which cue are you to really kind of dig into the differences in your intelligence versus your emotional side versus your image and how you show up. And another podcast is helpful called uh, Creating Legacy Leaders. This one gets into how you build response codes and build trust in seconds based on how you respond to people, based on how you interact. This That's really the essence of how your team views you. And if you're a leader, what about team hijacks? This is where if you really haven't set the culture and the culture culture boundaries. And you, you know, think about bringing your team a, uh, a new initiative, a change in policy, a new project, and everybody, oh, we don't have labor hours for this, or we don't have funding for that, or how do we solve this problem without any more information? And, and right there, you can have a, a minor one where people are just griping about it, or you can have people just you know, fly off the handle, start throwing files around or start freaking out because they don't have what they need. And you really haven't set them up for success. If your team is really responding that way, we, we've got some work to do to get our team set up the right way so they understand how that team is supposed to function and how they should respond to each other. Knowing your own trigger behaviors that just bother you as a leader. I mean, let's face it. Everybody looks at leaders like we're supposed to be these magical people that always know all the answers and we're always supposed to be you know, that person that is acting the right way, responding the right way, saying the right things and all that. And we try, but we're human. We can't be that way 100% of the time. 
time. And a lot of times there's things that trigger you and they could be biases, like how certain people are, you know, complainers or, or people who don't want to contribute and you automatically you know, dismiss them or things like that, or it could be anything. A lot of times, you know, these behaviors bother you, but yet you allow them to control your time and control your thought and how you're going to respond. And maybe it's time to really sit down and write some of those behaviors that just drive you crazy. People who procrastinate, all that kind of stuff, whatever it is, and kind of write out a form letter for that. I know it sounds kind of weird and maybe a little bit nerdy saying, you actually want me to write a letter to myself about a problem? And the answer is like, yeah, I really do because you don't want to give it more time than it deserves. And if you really thought it through and you're ready to respond, you won't give it that much time. And sadly, I kind of compare that to if you've ever written your member of Congress and you go on their website and of course, you know, it's just a topic of whatever it is you want to talk about, whether it's taxes or social security, you name it. Well, the reason they ask you for a topic is they're going to give you their pre-written response to that topic. They're not going to answer your specific question. Well, they don't want to spend time on that and they can't or won't or whatever. Well, that's the same thing. The things that detract or take away from what your team needs to move forward and be successful, you don't want to spend a lot of time on that stuff. So, so honestly, sitting down, writing a form letter for behaviors that bother you. So when they happen, you already kind of have that in your back pocket, even if it's just mentally to say, okay, here's how I think about this. And now we're moving on. Um, so what you really want to think about is an amygdala hijack control module. How much time and energy will you give some? You can't occupy two different emotional spaces. You can't. So what will your team expect from you? Is your leadership like a box of chocolates and they never know what they're going to get? Or do they kind of know where you're at with things? And, you know, digging into studying, you know, amygdala hijacks, how they work and how they affect people. One of the things I was you know, looking at is generational type responses, because you think of how people were raised and how generations are just different in, in what they believe in. And here, here's a simple fact. Like, for example, there's always this real divide and kind of almost an unfair labeling of millennials as lazy and they want their phone to do everything for them and all this other stuff. And they want an app for everything. And really, when you think about it, though, when you think about growing up like in my generation, I'm 51 years old. As soon as high school is over, you did two things. You either worked or went to went to college and you, you, were, you were focused on that and getting a house and all of those things. And we got married a lot younger than millennials. We had kids a lot younger than millennials and all those things. So we kind of just were living a life like that. And a lot of millennials don't have that experience. So when you think about things that bother you, when you go through life experiences sooner, in a sense, you mature sooner, you grow up sooner, you deal with them sooner. There's things that happen that cause you anxiety, but there's just too much going on. You got to move on and do that. And there's a flip side to that too that maybe on our generation, we haven't dealt with things like we should have or, or could have in a better sense to make us better at that. But those are just differences. So there really isn't a generational difference, so to speak, for amygdala hijacks. It's more about your life experiences and how you respond to things. And again, I'm talking about if you really don't have any kind of neurological issues or things like that, but how you respond to things, what you grew up as a mindset of just always just being mad about stuff or, or even 
mean, you think about um, watching football games at a bar and how crazy some people get over a touchdown or over a bad call. It's stuff like that. So it's not necessarily generational or age separation or, or, or different categories that way. It really is more of their life experiences, whatever that is. Another interesting fact is a lot of studies wanted to know if amygdalas affected the, the, the genders differently. And interestingly, what they found was it really didn't in that sense, but they did discover a couple of things. One, when it came to positive stimuli, males had more positivity over it than females. Like females would be happy with something, but in the same stimuli, males would be overboard. Like just think about the football analogy I just said, you know, a, a female might be happy over a touchdown, but you know, you got guys high five and hugging, you know, slamming beers, throwing stuff, all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, a negative stimuli affected women longer and more permanently than men. So initially with negative stimuli, both men and women took that negative stimuli and felt bad about it. But men would let it go earlier and women would hold on to that. And I just thought that was an interesting difference. It doesn't make anybody better or worse, but it is a good insight into you think about something negative that happens to to women and they kind of carry that with them for, for a long time and kind of expect that to go on where men kind of get past that a lot quicker for some reason. So there are some differences that way that can call into that. So the thing we have to remember is challenges and problems will always come. And it doesn't really have to be work. We're talking about the whole person. Again, leadership today is really understanding and, and communicating, getting to know people who report directly to you. So most of the time, and a lot of times, what's really driving what could give them an amygdala hijack isn't even work-related. It's personal and not discovering that could be a problem. But as leaders, we have to expect problems and eat them for breakfast, as I always say. And I know that's a saying, and I wish I could remember who said it, so I'll have to look that up. But what you can do is really start to learn how to mitigate those problems because you're leading a team and they're going to come up for yourself too, as the leader. Everybody, you know, a lot of people look at leaders like, okay, you're the leader and you got a great life and you're making more money and, and all those things. And we're leaders are human beings also. It's another topic for another podcast, but I, I, I was interested in how some companies have this, what I call duality of leadership, where they lead employees one way, but managers and leaders another way as like, they're like, like there's a tough love thing or all of that. And I get there's more responsibility and things you're doing differently as a leader, but all humans respond to recognition the same way and positive re, you know, reinforcement the same way and things like that. Or we talk about career development. You just, expect a manager to do whatever they need to do to, to look the right way to get promoted and things like that. So there's like this duality of leadership thing going on, but that's another podcast, like I said, but for leaders, it's our job to kind of recognize, first of all, with ourselves, have ourselves in check, but also with our people. So these amygdala hijacks are rare, are very rare, because if you got a lot of that going on, there's some deeper problems in your team. I can promise you that. So a couple of things you can do. I got six things you can do to really help yourself really lessen the chances that these amygdala hijacks are going to constantly be a theme throughout what your team is trying to accomplish. So number one, you got to have the basics in place. If you don't have enough help and enough of the right help, um, people doing the right things, it's really 
really hard to get other stuff done. And I know that sounds silly. It's like, of course, I want to hire the right amount of people and things like that. But what I'm really talking about is if your team is saying, look, we don't have the resources to do this and you keep pushing forward with other things, that's going to be a non-starter right there. You got to get the basics in place. Number two, you got to have clear messaging, like with your mission statement, like why are we here? Why do we do the things we do? What is our end goal? Where are we going? And everybody should understand that and be able to say that so they can tell you where you're going. Number three, honesty with each other and make that okay. And you're thinking, of course, we don't want to lie to each other, but I'm not, I'm talking about when things are bothering you, that it's okay to have that time to talk about it, to really set those things up so you can get them out in the open, get past that, and then get back to, hey, okay, I understand that's frustrating, but what can we actually control? And let's focus on that. Number four, hijack the hijackers. In other words, you gotta have the tough conversations with those folks that, that are really are disrupting the workplace. And a lot of times your, your highest producer is your hijacker, your amygdala hijacker through their attitude, or they just don't think everybody else works as hard as they do, and they're this, and people are that. And you really have to, you have to have that in check. Or a lot of times when I've seen major HR issues or performance issues, a lot of times it started really small, but never got addressed. So over time, it just got worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon it blew up again, an amygdala hijack, a really intense response. And a lot of times you see that response, you're like, what the heck happened? Like, why is this a problem all of a sudden? And it works both ways. How many times have you seen a leader be totally annoyed by the behavior? but never say anything. And, and the person working for them has been doing it, doing it, doing it. And all of a sudden, one day the leader blows up and the employee's looking at them like, I've been doing this for months. What's your problem? And it never gets addressed. So really hijacking the hijackers, having those tough conversations so you don't even go down that road. Number five, love the Phil Collins song In the Air Tonight from Miami Vice. But think about the words, you can feel it coming in the air tonight. So when you think about things that you know set you off, can you feel those things coming or can you feel it building in you? Address it, talk to someone, talk it out. Maybe other people are feeling the way you're feeling about it. And the the, the more you talk about it, the, the better it feels and you can get a better mindset on what's gonna happen and put in some stop gaps before you really go overboard and just lose it and have an amygdala hijack. But feeling it coming and dealing with it then because you kind of know when it, when it does. And number six, make it right. If you have had an amygdala hijack, you have done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, make it right. Apologize, acknowledge it. It may even take some time to reel all that back in, but don't act like, oh, I'm the manager. They just got to deal with it. And that's that. And I'm having a bad day and you don't understand what I'm responsible for. You cannot do that kind of stuff. You really have to acknowledge when, when you've gone overboard, even with it with if it's with your team or with a person acknowledge it make it right and get back to being honest with each other but in the end you know leadership is changing as leaders it's our job to be the thermostat of our team's culture so don't let unchecked emotions become your culture boundaries. Because here's the thing, you and your job title aren't really in charge. The daily behaviors and decisions that you allow your team to do, that is what's really in charge. And that is 100% up to you. So what did we learn today? 
how did you grow just a little bit? Or more importantly, how can you help someone else grow? That's the whole point of Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, hit that subscribe button. Tell all your colleagues and friends and neighbors all about the show. Give us comments, feedback, things like that. We will grow together and we will see you next week on the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast.